recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Josh and Grace up. We're going to, um, as Layla said, we're going to do a panel this morning. Um, so if I haven't said, I always forget to introduce myself, but Layla did it for me, so it's okay. So uh, yes, I'm Susan. Um, and if you've been journeying with us through Ecclesiastes, um, been looking at that book for a while now and um, thought we'd do something a little bit different. So this morning we're going to be looking at some of the themes and the issues that that come up in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 8 all the way through to the end of chapter 6 and just kind of looking at what other scriptures talk about some of the themes that that are raised here. You'll notice that some of the themes that are mentioned in um, this chapter or these sections are similar to some of the things that you've heard before Um, but I'm hoping that yeah we'll bring some sort of fresh perspective and that we can really go away knowing how we can apply some of the um, scriptures that we talk about today to our lives. Awesome. Let's just quickly pray. Lord, we just thank you for this time and just pray that you would open our hearts this morning to just hear your word, hear what it is that you're wanting to speak to us. Help each one of us to communicate your word effectively, Lord, and we thank you that your word does not return void. We just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first section of um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 that we're looking at is looking at verses 8 to 9, and it talks about the prevalence of oppression and corruption, and that we're not to be surprised when we see oppression and corruption, and it's um, certainly true that all these years later that that still very much exists in today's society. Um, So I'm going to throw to to Grace um, about what... I guess our role is, or how what what's our response to um, to the fact that there's oppression and corruption in our world? Yes, that <clears throat> that is there, but God has given us a task. In the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis one, verse twenty six, it says, "Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image.'" To be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his image. To be like us, that is a big thing. That we have to be like God. We have to take care of his creation, of our neighbors, not doing, and doing that is not meaningless. The teacher calls everything meaningless, and I don't like that. (laughs) And yes, everything is meaningless if you see what you are doing as means, as a way to get to heaven. There is only one way to get to heaven. And that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Surrendering to him will give us real joy, real happiness. 
Josh, do you want to add any thoughts to that? Yeah, I think in verse 8 and 9, the teacher says, don't be surprised. And I think if we, in verse 9 particularly, it says, moreover, the profit of the land is for all, even the king is served from the land. And if we look around today, in terms of whether it's our you know, big corporations, or whether it's media, or whether it's just individuals, a lot is done just for, for profit. Morals go out the window, beliefs go out the window, um, it's all for profit, and the teacher says, don't be surprised. And I don't think this has changed in 3,000 odd years. Uh, but when we look at the New Testament, and once we're on this side of the cross and have received salvation, it changes our perspective completely. James says, um, you know, pure and undefiled religion is this um, before God our Father, that we would go and be with orphans and widows and help them in their time of need. Uh, and like Grace said, we're to treat other people like they're also created in God's image. They're fellow image bearers of God. Uh, and in, um, I think Philemon really brings this out because here Paul is writing and says, well, you previously treated this person like a slave, but now you're to treat them like a brother because you've received such a great salvation, such great grace. Yeah, awesome. There's, there's so many scriptures in the New Testament, especially, and even in the Old Testament as well, about what our mandate is. Um, in Proverbs 31, verse 8 to 9, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. In Isaiah uh, 58, verse 6 to 7, um, Isaiah is talking about the Israelites going through the motions of fasting. And his response is, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. And then in 1 John 3.16 verse, uh, 3, to 18, it says, We know what real love is, because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. So with the passages that we've kind of talked about this morning, it's, it's crystal clear that, that we have a mandate as Christians to speak up for the oppressed, um, to stand up against corruption. And so what, what do you think that looks like? How, how, as Christians, can we do that? Obviously, there's going to be limited opportunity um, for some of us, perhaps not for others. Others might have more opportunity in their daily lives. But um, as Christians living in a Western society, what do you think, how, how can we, you know, stand up against oppression and corruption? Um, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, through prayer. And I think about the persecuted uh, Christians then. And what you hear about them, how difficult is their life? You know, some are killed, some are put in prison, and their loved ones put in prison. And what are they doing? They are praying for their other prisons and even for their torturers to tell them about Jesus Christ. And 
I think we have to think more about all these people who are in trouble. How we can reach out. Sometimes we can't reach the people, but we can give money to help them. And it's a lot about wealth here, so use the money that you get to send other peoples to other people to help them. Yeah, I think sometimes we don't necessarily consider ourselves as wealthy, but when we look at the perspective of um, us compared to the entire world's population, we are in the world's wealthiest population. And I think that um, God really does call us to be good stewards with our wealth. And there are so many different organisations that we can partner with. It's great to be in a church that already partners with different missionary groups. Um, but yeah, there are so many organisations um, that we can partner with that, that really do advocate for these people groups. And I think as well, um, politically as well, I think that we've, we've got room to, to perhaps flex our muscles a bit of just you know, lobbying the government or voting for governments that really support these causes of looking after, not just internationally, but also in our own country. Um, looking at issues of, you know, welfare and um, the issues at the moment of um, women dealing with domestic violence and um, so many people groups, indigenous communities in our, in our country, there are so many issues in our country that um, perhaps sometimes we turn a bit of a blind eye to. So I'd really encourage your church to really take this mandate seriously and, and think and pray about ways um, that you can stand up for the oppressed and, and um, speak out against corruption um, and, and get involved perhaps with an organisation um, that really does um, fight for these causes. All right, the next um, section or the next few verses um, in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10 to 17, and then again in chapter 6, verse 7 to 8. And again, we've seen these sort of um, this theme come up several times when we've looked through Ecclesiastes is this idea that wealth and hard work do not bring true and lasting fulfillment. Um, there's various warnings throughout the, the New Testament uh, about the dangers of desiring wealth. In, in Luke 12, verse 15 and 21, it says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. goes on to tell the parable of the man who's storing up grains and, you know, trying to enlarge his wealth. He says, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And then his um, Christ's direction to us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 to 34, he says, so don't worry about all these things. How often do we worry about it? Like I've been thinking about these things, I'm like, oh, yes, here we go. It's the same thing. But like, seriously, Susan, like, are you getting it? Because I think so often when we hear the same thing over and over, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. But no, seriously, don't worry about these things. What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers and believers, I would say, really. Um, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Such truth bombs in those scriptures but again so hard to put into practice because I think as Nathan was was sharing in communion it's our nature to want to have control 
and to to have our you know financial control or have control in our relationships or um, whatever it is, and it just I don't know about you, but I find that that often consumes our thoughts and consumes our our motivations. But um, we're certainly told that that that's not going to bring satisfaction. It's not going to help us. That we really need to lift our eyes and, and seek God first and His righteousness. Josh, what do you have to share? Yeah, I think the teacher makes it really clear that riches is never enough. We never, we, it's like a bottomless bucket. We never fill up. And when we live that way, when maybe we have this, you know, Australian dream of, you know, I'm going to, maybe you're, you're in high school and uh, you're going to study hard and you're going to get a really good university degree and you're going to get a really good job. Then you're, you know, going to get married, have kids, settle down, um, and then have a nice retirement playing golf and collecting seashells on the beach. Uh, and if that's like all we're living for, if that's what we think life is about, we need to think again. We need to think more deeply. And I think too often our world is, we, we busy ourselves with so many other things, but we don't actually stop and think, once I get to that seashell moment, what next? Is this all life is, or is there more? Is, is this just a, a, a vapor, like a, a small window of time before eternity, or is, is, is this all there is? And I think the teacher goes on to say, in verse, especially in verse 12, that there's no rest in this sort of life. If you live this way, there's no rest. You're always worried about how do I improve, how do I do more, how do I do more? Um, but there's there's never any satisfaction or, or rest. Uh, and verse 17 is sort of the climax of that. It's really, I find it really sad when we read this. It says, all his days he also eats in darkness, and he has much sorrow and sickness and anger. And maybe he does have enough to keep the lights on, but it's just this, this sadness, like he can't see where he's going, he can't see what it's all for. But Jesus gives us rest. We sung, we sung about it this morning, that you know, we can cast our burdens on him. Yes. He'll give us a yoke that's easy and light. He says that he will give us um, the bread of life, that he will give us water, that, that if we drink of it, that we'll never thirst again. And so I think it's, it's so radical on this side of the cross compared to what Kohalath, I guess, is wrestling with in this passage. Grace? Aren't you happy that we live after the cross? Mm. Um, Jesus says in Mark 8, And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Even if you would own all the gold, gold in the world, you still can buy a ticket to heaven. They tried that in the 15th and the 16th century. The church did something, but it didn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus is, was, and is the only way to heaven. The only way to have rest and peace and joy. And I think it's so important for us to keep our eyes fixed on him for that rest. I think particularly living in an age of social media where there is so much comparison and everyone puts their, their best life online of, you know, the new car or the, the fancy holiday that they're on or the amazing restaurant that they're eating at. And it's so easy, I think, for us to get caught into that 
trap of comparing ourselves of, oh, look what they're getting and, and, and not what I have. And, and it really does steal our joy and it steals our rest and our peace. Um, so, again, just really encourage you to, regardless of your circumstances, to, to just be fi- fixing your eyes on, on Jesus, knowing that he really is um, the provider of everything that we need and, and to constantly come to him as our source of fulfilment. Um, the next section in um, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 18 to 19, and then again in chapter 6, verse 9, um, sort of following on from these themes, it's about enjoying God's blessing and actually being content, um, which I think is so contradictory to this the Western world, isn't it, that, that we're, we're sold this idea of it's constantly about getting to that next level, getting from university, you know, getting from high school to the, the good degree and then from the good degree to the job and then from the job to the promotion and then from the promotion to, you know, whatever. And it's as long as you're happy, that, you know, that's the message that we're told, isn't it? That, but these things, as we've been told, don't bring that happiness. Um, so some advice from, from God's word about how we are to get that contentment. Paul is um, giving advice to Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10. It says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For, they lo- for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows." think we just need to look at um, you know celebrities around us and the number of celebrities who've taken their own lives even though they've had wealth they've had fame they've had those riches um, it doesn't bring that satisfaction satisfaction it doesn't bring that contentment Um, we need to be living lives where where Jesus is and our desire for Jesus is where we get that that um, full satisfaction that he is the most valuable thing in our lives that he's more valuable than any wealth that we can accumulate and he's more valuable than anything that we may have lost um, I think that, that that can help us to kind of um, yeah get some of that perspective Grace what what are your experiences with contentment um, I make this a bit personal being content, that's not just about money. It's, we often think about wealth, about the money, but it's our whole life. And we have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ, not on our circumstances. Without Jesus, you have nothing. Knowing Christ as my Lord and Savior gives me peace and rest. It is such a blessing. Unbelievers do not understand this. When I got divorced 25 years ago, I went on doing my work and everything that was needed. Some of my patients said, how can you go on like this after all the things your husband has done to you? And you even go to his office to save his business? My short answer was, one man has rejected me, and yes, that hurts. 
But the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings has accepted me and saved me. Jesus loves me. Despite the misery, I felt the peace of God, knowing that Jesus loved me. And it's the same now with my daughter. She has cancer and needs to go for a complicated surgery. I know that she is in God's hand. I don't worry, but bring it by the Lord and leave it with him. We often bring problems to the Lord and then put it on our own back again to go on worrying about it. But that doesn't work. I bring it to him and leave it with him. And having dear friends and the whole church family praying with me and standing around me, that is such a comfort and such a, yeah, support. Our God is an awesome God and a great healer. Josh? Yeah, I think in verses, this, this little bit here from verses 18 onwards, the teacher talks about how it's good to be able to eat and drink and it's, it's all God's gift. He uses this like, he, he says God gives him um, the days of his life and, and the labor. He says God gives him the power to eat of it. So sometimes we might have wealth or we might not have wealth, but God still gives us the power to enjoy that. Uh, but this verse 20, I think, really, really stands out. Uh, let me read what it says. It says, For he will not dwell unduly on the days of his life, because God keeps him busy with the joy of his heart. And when I was sort of reading it, I'm like, why doesn't, why doesn't he think? Like, he doesn't dwell on his life, he doesn't reflect, he must be really foolish. Uh, but one commentator has to say, says that this sort of person, this person who's received the gift of God, and the ability to enjoy all, all his gifts. Um, this person's life is not that life will be so quiet that nothing memorable will take place, but that life will be so occupied with jubilation that the vanity of life will nigh well be forgotten. And if that's amazing when you have you know, physical and material wealth and satisfaction, when we put on sort of our Jesus glasses, <laughs> like how much greater is this? Like we might... We may or we might not have physical wealth, but he's, given, he's poured out the riches of his grace on us. We have redemption through his blood. We're going to reign with Christ. We're, we're seated with him in the heavenly places. And if our eyes are focused on that, if our eyes are focused on Jesus and who we are in Christ, then shouldn't we spend our life this way? Shouldn't we live with jubilation and forget it's not, it's not forgetting to reflect on life because we do reflect and we do thank God for you know, where he's brought us from and what he's given to us. But we don't spend, waste away our days wondering what's this all for because we have meaning in Christ. We have identity in Christ. Yeah, and I think um, Paul says it so well in Philippians 3 where he says, yes, everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. What an incredible perspective to have to really come to a place where you can acknowledge that even the amazing things on earth are like garbage compared to knowing um, Jesus. Um, And I think it's really important for us to cultivate um, contentment and gratitude um, I actually, um, I'm a teacher, for those of you who don't know, and I um, show 
a couple of clips to every one of my classes at the beginning of year, the year and they're these clips about the, the power of gratitude and there's been a whole bunch of research that's gone into the power of gratitude and, and it has actually been proven to have health benefits. So things like um, people who regularly practice gratitude have lower rates of depression, lower rates of heart disease, they sleep better, they're more forgiving, they're more generous, they have better relationships. Like, it's just amazing, uh, all these different things. They're more resilient, their brains automatically deflect sort of negative things in their life and that they already um, are attracted to the positive. And so I encourage you, if you haven't um, done that already, to, to get in the habit of regularly um, practicing that, that heart of gratitude and, and focusing on all the amazing things, not just that we have materially, but just the amazing things that we have in Jesus so that we can, again, just get that perspective that, that knowing Jesus far surpasses any other material wealth um, that we could have. Um, there's a similar theme that kind of runs into the next section in Ecclesiastes um, 6, verse 1 to 6. And again, just talking about how meaningless life is. Um, when we've got wealth and, or blessings and people in our lives, but we, we don't have the ability to enjoy them. Um, Josh, do you want to share what, what your thoughts are on this section? Yeah, it's. I think verse 2 is another sad sort of verse where... God's given this gift to this person, but he has withheld the ability to enjoy it, or they just can't enjoy it for whatever reason. And the, the preacher says that this is a, an evil affliction. This is, it's vanity, it's meaningless. And again, like how much more is this the case if we put on our Jesus glasses again and we, we see that we've received Christ, we've received um, great, like the great, God's greatest gift, uh, but if we don't enjoy it and we rock up you know, before the throne of God on, on that day and we say, oh, well, you gave me Jesus, but I didn't really, I, I didn't really do anything with it or with him or you know, that didn't really change my life at all. How sad will that be? How sad? And, or, or maybe we, we do accept Jesus, but how sad would it be to rock up and say, well, you gave me your Holy Spirit, but you know, I, I never talked to him. Or, you know, you gave me so many graces and you gave me so, um, like you gave me a, a counselor and you, you've given me salvation. I didn't have to work for my salvation, but I spent my whole life working to try and earn my way here or just to make myself feel happy or better, but it didn't last. How sad would that be? But in Jesus, we know that we have the fullness of joy at his right hand of pleasures evermore. And so... We don't have to live like verse 2. We don't have to live like, like, we're, like we're in a deep affliction and we don't have enjoyment because we have Jesus. Yeah, that's great. Grace? Yeah, like Susan said, we have so much to be grateful for. But we often forget. We often look at that what we do not have and complain about that. But God is giving us so much just knowing that he is with us in all our circumstances, whatever we do, whatever we are, he's there. We have to be grateful every day. And when God gives us wealth, we should use it. And not complain like the teacher, oh, he was rich and after his death, where was the money going? It doesn't matter where it goes. When you have wealth, be very grateful, but use it. Do something with it. 
be grateful and be happy that you can help. That he is complaining about that it is meaningless to have it. It's the teacher again. The teacher is so depressive <laughs> for me. He, in my opinion, he does not honor our awesome God enough. God is so great and so, oh, so above everything. And what does he say? He's all talking about meaningless. God is giving us so much. We are not here on earth to have fun and be happy. Nothing wrong with being happy. But our task is to glorify God. To take care of our neighbors, of his creation. The creator has ever, have given us everything. We should glorify him. Like Susan already said, Jesus tells us in Mark 6, verse 33, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. You don't have to worry. He will give what you need. Yeah, great. In the last section in um, verses 10 and to 12, um, it's really highlighting that thing that, that God is God and, and we're not God's sovereign, we're finite. Um, that, you know, he's set into course things that, that we don't have control over. Um, and I think sometimes we, we struggle with that and we try to kind of take that control or we try to, to, to change um, our, our future or wish we could change the past. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's plenty of scriptures that, that talk about, I guess, again, just acknowledging that, that God is sovereign and, and we're not. Um, Josh, do you want to share your thoughts on this section? Sure. In verse 12, it sort of ends by saying, uh, For who knows what is good for man in life? All the days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. Who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? And I think throughout our journey through Ecclesiastes up until now, the teacher's worldview is it's bounded. It's, it's really limited by this life under the sun that there's this idea of trying to get a profit can only be gained maybe by being remembered after you're gone or accumulating enough wealth that somehow you'd be able to take it with you. But he's just said you can't do that. And so if that's all life is, then life is kind of meaningless. And if we, if we flip forward to the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes this really, really clear. He says that if there's no, if there's no life after death, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then... Your life is meaningless. You're still in your sins. Your faith is futile. And Christians like us, everyone who's here this morning, we're to be the most pitied among everyone on the face of the earth. Uh, and so he, he literally says that if that's all there is to life, then let's just be like the teacher and sort of eat, drink, and enjoy. And, and that's all there is. Uh, but that's a big if. And the thing is that Jesus has risen from the dead. There is life after death. We are no longer in our sins. And so Jesus has conquered the greatest, um, the, the greatest enemy of all, which is death. There's no sting to death anymore. We will be raised with him. And so if that's the case, then there, there is meaning. There's more to life than just life under the sun. That's great. Grace? Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. 
They can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Yeah, he said it so well. <laughs> um, that makes me think again of the persecuted Christians. I always, my whole life, have been involved with uh, work for the persecuted Christians, so that's why I often think about that. And we often forget them. And it's not only one country, it's not only like now Myanmar, it's not only China, but it's all over the world. Yes. Like what is happening in Africa and, and a lot of places. And they need our help. We have to think about them. Is the time that I can read a report from uh, Mission from Maybe just quickly, I think we, we are running yeah, a little bit short of time. Okay. Uh, there is a, a missionary in uh, Myanmar and he is sending a report. They don't have food, they don't have money, banks are closed, they can't get the money from their supporters from overseas, nothing. Uh, one of the missionaries, his wife is due to give birth, no hospitals, they can't go anywhere, and still they have to go on. And like he says, it doesn't matter that I'm hungry, but my little one from two years old and a baby from six months, I would love them to have food. Let's think about them and pray a lot for those persecuted Christians, that they will be strengthened and supported by, the, uh, by our God. Yeah, I think that that um, really helps us to put things in perspective, doesn't it? When we when we focus on the needs around the world, particularly our brothers and sisters in Christ, um, and just acknowledging again just how how easy we have it, really. Um, so I hope hope this morning that I know that we've kind of touched on quite quite a few different things here, and and I really hope that even just that repetitiveness as we've gone through Ecclesiastes, that the Holy Spirit's really um, yeah, speaking through these um, passages and, and really encouraging that life isn't meaningless when we have Jesus. Um, and so I really hope that wherever you're at, um, whatever needs that you might be facing, whatever struggles you might be going through, that you really sense that, that, that Jesus has everything that you need. Um, and just, yeah, that we continue to, to live out our faith with gratitude and constantly learning how to seek first God's kingdom and to, to not be seeking wealth and getting caught up, uh, particularly with that Western mentality. Let's pray. Lord, again, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we have such great access to your word and, and thank you that you have been just giving us understanding of these difficult scriptures, Lord, and just we just continue to invite you to to speak to us, to, to show us how to um, seek you first, to, to not be caught up with um, seeking wealth, seeking meaning and in other things other than you. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've done that, Lord, and just pray that, um, yeah, you refine us and that um, you just grow our love for you deeper. More, that we'd fall more deeply in love with you and that we could truly say that nothing else compares to the riches that we have in you and, and the, the privilege it is to know you. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.